Your hardest times often lead to the greatest moments of your life. Keep going. Tough situations build strong people in the end. Roy T. Bennett. Man's time here is finite, but the influence of a man is infinite. The question is what shall we do with the daylight that remains? Welcome back to the podcast. My name is Bronson Wilkes. I'm the founder and host here. Today I am joined by Todd Houston the author of More Than Mountains. This is Todd's true story of going from a boating accident as a teenager that resulted in the amputation of one leg. Todd later went on to summit the highest peak in each of the 50 states of the United States of America. He did it in record-breaking time and then has gone on to be a worldwide speaker. Uh, he, he works with businesses, religions, government organizations, etc. He's spoken to millions of people. Uh, continues to inspire the world. Uh, he's been on every major television network, and today he joins us here on the Build the Life You Want podcast. Todd, welcome to the show. All right. Thanks, Bronson. Good uh, good to meet you, and uh, thank you for having me on the show. Absolutely. My pleasure. So let's, let's just jump right in here. Um, when you were a kid, you had a boating accident Tell us, tell us a bit about where this story starts. Yeah, so the, uh, you know, the start of this story, uh, I don't think anybody would have any clue what trail this story actually took and where it ended up. Uh, so, uh, but let's start at the beginning and, um, and let's start, let's start on that path. So, fourteen years old, back behind a boat, and I was water skiing with my uh, family and some of my friends uh, that were on my football team and some of the cheerleaders. And, you know, we were just out on a summer day uh, before, you know, we started our two a day uh, practices in a hundred degree heat in Oklahoma. And, and uh, it was July 2nd. We thought it might be a good idea to get on the lake before uh, all the, the traffic got out there uh, for the July 4th weekend you know, it'd be safer. Uh, I was back behind the boat and I looked up while I was untangling the ski ropes and I saw a propeller coming directly towards me. The boat was backing up and I screamed for them to, you know, turn off the boat or do something. And nobody could hear me because of the sound of the engine. Uh, and I tried to swim out of the way. Next thing I knew, a bam, I was hit. And I could feel those propellers as they were crawling up my legs. They were uh, tossing my, my legs back and forth underneath the water as they were chewing them up, uh, trying to keep my head above water so I could breathe. And that was when this uh, this chaos turned to a, a deadly silence. Opened my eyes, dark green Oklahoma water had now turned to a very bright red and I knew I'd been hit. Oh my gosh. This is insane. So this 
how did you, did you stay conscious this whole time? And, and how did you get out of the water? That's totally, totally conscious. Uh, you know how, when, when something happens with you and you think from this point forward, my life is forever going to change. Well, I knew at that moment that my life was getting ready to change. It wasn't going to be about football and hiking and camping and being a boy scout or anything like that. Because my dad reached down, he pulled me out of the water and my entire left thigh had been ripped down to the bone. The backside of my right leg was missing. My knee had been sliced in half. Uh, I had a Texas oil well squirting out of me. I mean, just, blood going everywhere. Uh, they threw me in the bottom of the boat. They started putting the towels on me to slow down the bleeding and you're wringing them out, putting them back on my leg and, and just rushing to get me to a boat dock so they could uh, get an ambulance and try and get me to a hospital. So my reaction was uh, initially uh, one of uh, screaming, you know, um, just, uh, you know, looking down and seeing all that, uh, it was a mess. Uh, somehow I calmed myself down when I got into the boat. Uh, they, um, as they were trying to, you know, slow down, you know, the, the bleeding, uh, I somehow just kind of went into a peace and, and had a calm about things. I, I'd always been taught in scouts not to panic. You know, that's one of the things they teach you in, in uh, first aid. And I, I was really doing my best to try not to panic, but that was a, that was a pretty good test right there. Wow. Yeah. It's one thing to be taught in scouts. It's another one thing to be laying on the back of a boat with your legs cut up. Did you have any severed arteries that were major arteries? And Sure. Yeah. Yeah. One of my, uh, femoral artery, uh, one of the branches of it got cut. That's why the blood was, you know, spurting out like it was, uh, they got me to a small town hospital and the doctor looked at me and he's like, we can't help help this kid here. He, he needs to go to a bigger hospital. So they loaded me back up in the ambulance and he was actually overheard saying, I don't think this kid is going to make it. Wow. So they, they rushed me off to another hospital, but you know how they tell you, how when you've really been injured that your body kind of shuts down so you don't feel all that pain well i, I want you to know bronson that is a lie okay <laughs> it's, it's not true that's <laughs> how that goes but they finally got me they finally got me to the other hospital and got uh they got me into the emergency room and i died so they had to resuscitate me, got me into the operating room, and I uh, flatlined again. So I actually went out twice that day. Oh, my. Like, yeah, it was really, really close. And it's interesting now because one of the doctors that was there that saved my life is actually a friend of mine's today. And he, he's in his 90s now. Uh, but uh, but I got I got to hear... He, he remembered that day. He said that was probably one of, if not the closest calls he ever had where somebody didn't die that, 
was that close to it. Yeah. I mean, we see it in TV shows a lot where people die and come back, but that in reality, as a nurse speaking, like the reality of that is so rare. Like the fact that you flatlined twice and they brought you back and you probably had barely any blood pumping in those veins. And oh my goodness. No, I lost, uh, how many pints do you have in you? Eight. I can't remember the total, but you probably lost a lot. Something like that. I, I think I lost at least three quarters of it. Yeah. So, you know, they're putting fluids in me to try and keep my veins from collapsing, mm-hmm. you know, everything from collapsing in there. Yeah. Holy cow. That is an, that is an incredible scene and a horrific scene is what I should say. Okay. So you made it to the bigger hospital. You, you, Tried to die a couple times, and then uh, well, I wasn't trying, but <laughs> <laughs> so you you come out of it two times, and um, of course, I'm I'm thinking recovery is a lengthy time. How long How long did you actually stay in the hospital? And then, well, I, yeah, so uh, yeah, because I woke up, I was in ICU, intensive care unit, uh, with you know hoses and tubes and wires all connected to me. But I still had both my legs. So I was thinking everything was going to be okay. Uh, They had told my parents that if I survived, I'd probably never walk again. And I ended up having a lot of surgeries in that hospital. But when we go through things like this, oftentimes we might ask the question, why? You know, why me? Why am I going through this? Or maybe somebody, you know, you love, you care about, you think, why are they having to go through something like this? I tell people I don't know the answer to their why, and I can't tell them when they're going to get that answer. But I have a really good idea when you will know that you have it. And that is when that answer not only blesses you, but it ends up blessing others too. Because there are times we go through things and we just do not understand it. But then we can, you know, time goes on, sometimes a little time, sometimes a lot. And we look back and we go, wait a minute. I, I now see how this actually worked for the good in my life. Even though at the time, I thought there is no way there is any good that could ever come from this for me or for anyone. And yet somehow that good comes out. And, uh, and it's not only something that, that is good for you, but it, it's also good for those people that are around you. Uh, and maybe for a lot of people you don't even know. So, so there is good there. It's always there. Um, it's just a question of one, opening your eyes and trying to find it. Uh, two, if you do recognize it, are you going to try and help develop it and grow it into something good? Or are you going to want to take a victim mentality and just say, this is a bad thing. Yes, I see the good, but I'm just going to stay here and wallow in my sorrow. And that's always an option. I mean, it's, it's always your choice. Uh, but I think eventually you're going to want the good to come out. That's a that's a very powerful thing coming from a guy like you, where you've you've been 
to a place where very few have have gone right you had your legs chopped up you're laying in the bed you've you've just tried on death a couple of times and and uh here you are saying there's good in this yeah for all those nde people out there people that are into the near-death experience uh the only experience i had on that at that time was that i felt like i could stay or go home and somewhere i I felt like i i wanted to stay um but i knew it was going to be a rough rough time and i think that's what kind of helped calm me down in the boat Um, interesting i wasn't really thinking about that at the time but yeah so but when they did let me out of the hospital uh I was in a wheelchair, then it had me up on crutches, but I I was having to wear a metal brace on my right foot because it severed about six inches of my sciatic nerve in my right leg. So my right foot became paralyzed. I couldn't move it. I couldn't feel it. Um, So that, that created its own set of problems later on. How long were you in the hospital before they sent you home in a wheelchair? I want to say about six to eight weeks. Okay. Yeah. So it wasn't, it wasn't now, like you said, recovery was a long time, mm-hmm. but being in the hospital, I got out fairly quickly, but boy, when I was in there, it was kind of a rough ride for a while. Um, you know, I was needing skin grafts. Uh, at one point they actually, uh, there's a, uh, scar on my hand right here. They actually tied my hand to my stomach to be able to take skin from my stomach. And then they, they cut the skin from my stomach and then tied one end of it to my leg and then tied my, my uh, in a cast, put my arm to the back of my leg. So I actually had my, my arm tied to the back of my leg for, for several weeks. And, uh, yeah, so it wasn't always comfortable. That was the method of skin grafting? Yeah. I've never heard yeah, of it. Yeah, it was a full thickness graft that they needed. Yeah. Wow. Wasn't fun. Was not fun. I don't know if they do that procedure anymore, but that was that was what they did at the time. And, uh, you know, so it was a lot of patience, you know, definitely some pain involved uh, through all of this recovery. And... And since my leg was paralyzed, I could step on something sharp and I wouldn't know it. Mm. And I might pull my shoe off and just be a bloody mess. Something that people don't think about until you can't feel your foot anymore, huh? Oh, yeah. I eventually got a hole about, you know, what size of a silver dollar, you know, big old hole in the bottom of my foot, an ulcer, kind of like what diabetics get. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, uh, then I got something called osteomyelitis in my uh, foot, in my heel. And that was when, you know, they kind of gave me the choice to uh, they say, well, we can try and save your leg. But if we do, the infection could become very dangerous. It could get into the rest of your body. Um, or we can amputate your right leg below the knee. So I, I ended up actually having my right leg amputated uh, when I was 21, about seven years after my accident. Oh, wow. So you, you walked around with this, this, 
Yeah. So you walked around with this foot that you couldn't fill for nearly seven years, kind of hoping that that was going to be where you end up. And and then it eventually got worse. You got the infection, osteomyelitis, meaning in the bone, right? Which a lot of times once, once you're at that point, it's, it's a difficult battle. And so you elect to get your leg amputated where just below the knee. Yeah. I had it amputated uh, right below the knee, but when I had it amputated, I, I was, uh, remember the night before my surgery, I was thinking that, you know, wow. And I've really gone to a, through a lot of challenges at this point in my life. And I thought at 21, I'm probably going to continue having more challenges in my life. Mm-hmm. I don't think they go away <laughs> at 21. Uh, so, so as I thought about that, I thought there has to be something stronger within us than all that craziness and chaos out in the world. So I went to kind of prove that to myself. And I thought the next day would be a really good time to to try and do that. So this is what I did. Actually went into the operating room and I was wide awake. I did not have any, I did not even have aspirin in me, Bronson, nothing. All I had them do was, you know, numb me below the waist. Oh. And while I was talking to the doctor, fired up the saw, and he amputated my right leg below the knee. Ah. <laughs> and that that was kind of kind of my way of saying, hey, you know what? No matter how crazy it may seem out here, it's always better to try and find your happiness from within, because your real strength actually comes from within you. If you're going to look out and have the world determine your happiness. Yeah, you'll have your good days, you'll have your bad days, and they're going to go up and down, up and down, up and down, like a roller coaster. And no matter how much you like roller coaster rides, I think eventually you're probably going to get tired of riding that roller coaster. And, and uh, I wanted to know that there there is something stronger within us where we can we can use that to determine our happiness and our and the joy that we experience in our life. Uh, and sure enough, you know, that's that's kind of how it works. But we have to remember that we have that strength. We've got to remember that we have to also choose to use it. I mean, you can't just sit there and and be aware of it and not use it uh, and not say, hey, you know, this is a difficult situation. Well, OK, it is. Now, what are you going to do? Are you going to react to it like most of the world reacts to it? Or are you going to say, wait a minute, it's. The only effect this thing's really having on me is the effect that I'm giving it. And if I choose that I don't want that drama or that negative effect or whatever, and I'm going to look at this in a different way, then then um, it's my responsibility to do that. It's not somebody else's responsibility to make the choices for you on whether or not you enjoy your life or not. Yeah, it's it's up to you. The the effect it's having is the effect I'm giving it. That's interesting, right? The the world is chaotic. There's all kinds of things going on. Your your leg is a, a mess because of a boating accident, and and yet you're going okay. Flip this script here. I'm not just going to be. <laughs> I'm not going to be the victim for the rest of my life. I'm going to take 
the tools and experiences and lessons learned and flip it. I'm going to, I'm going to use this as strength. It's so interesting and powerful. Um, is it, does it like, is that something that happens over time or does that happen in a moment? Like, did it happen at that kind of close to that time you're going in for surgery or something? When do you sort of go enough of this? Well, okay. So, so yes. So if you really think about how things happen in life, a lot of times we're sitting there going, nothing's happening, nothing's happening, nothing's changing. You know, I'm trying this and I'm trying, you know, whatever. And it goes on. And then all of a sudden you have this like moment where you go, Hey, wait, I just get it. I get it now. Right. You know, I'm here. But what you didn't realize was that you've been taking steps all along to get to there. It's not, you know, I mean, there are times that, yeah, you do get a moment where somebody might say something to you or you, you hear something or read something and you go, oh, oh, I get it now. Or, wow, that was great advice. I never have thought about that. It can come like that. Absolutely. But there are other times where real changes that come from within you. I think that sometimes takes time. It takes experience. It takes living. Yeah. Um, it takes um you know, being a little bit of, you know, learning to have patience with yourself and knowing that a lot of the the big changes in your life are usually coming at a time when you're totally unaware of what's really going on, the growth that you're really having. You're not really conscious of it. It's it's a, some kind of subconscious process that's going on. Uh, so just because you're not feeling it, just because you're not thinking you're getting anywhere just because you're not seemingly doing anything like you're not doing your journaling or you're not doing this or meditation or whatever. Forget all that stuff. You know, I mean, it's fine. You can do it. But if you're focused, you know, somewhere deep in your heart, you say, I want to be better. I want to not only be better for myself, I want to be better for others because it's, it's all this. We're all in this together. It's all about you. Well, good luck with that one because you're not going to get to where you really want to go. So, but if it's, if it's something where you're wanting to really know how to be the best person that you can be, the strongest person you can be. And I mean, strong in the heart, you know, and, you know, it's great to be strong intellectually. It's great to, you know, to, to, you know, have, you know, a healthy body and all that, all that is very, very important but you got to have your heart in the right place. I mean, the heart gives off 10 times more electromagnetic energy than the brain. And, and, and it has the same kind of cells, uh, a group of them that you also have in your head, and, you know, in your brain, they're like, they're, you know, the neurons. Um, and you also have another set, I guess, right around your gut. So when you say, Hey, you know, I feel this in my heart or I feel a gut feeling or whatever, you know, let your heart talk to your brain. Don't let, you know, I mean, use your brain. But but uh, anyway, so to go on from from that, I really um, think that in today's world, we get we're, we're being told a lot of times what's going to make us happy. We're being told what direction we need to go. We're being told what we need to think. We need to get out of that. We need we need to just go within ourselves 
And we already know the answers. Um, and we got to be brave enough to, to bring them forward and to live them. You know, uh, it, it takes a strong person to live a, you know, a beautiful life. And, and that's individual for each person. It's, it's not on a television commercial. It's not, it's not the next piece of plastic or, uh, the next purchase. Um, so interesting. But, no, yeah. I mean, I'm not, you know, all those things are fine, but that's not where your, your, your happiness is never right. in things. Your happiness is never out there. Your happiness is always when, and you know, I, you know, I went, I got, I, I was married to this gal. We had to get married kind of quickly due to immigration issues. She was from uh, New Zealand and she, um, um, she got it, you know, all the immigration stuff worked out over the next couple of years. And I came home one night and she'd vanished. And that's when I realized what this whole marriage was really all about and, and why she was, you know, staying in it. But I'd learned by that point that no matter how dark things may seem, there's always light at the end of that tunnel. Always. You may not see the light. It may not be self-evident but it's there. So we have to just keep moving towards that. And there's a, you know, a physical injury is one where, well, you know, you know, as a nurse that you could look at somebody and say, well, you know, that's going to feel better. You know, it's going to heal itself within the next three or four days. But when you have injuries in the heart and, and, you know, and this was kind of hard because at the, at the time, you know, my heart was in it. We were getting ready to move. So I put a notice in where I lived and worked. So I lost my home, my job, my wife. And she went and took all the money out of the bank account all in one week. So, you know, this wasn't just like a, you know, a little easy little thing. Right. But when you, when you have things of the heart, you don't know how long it's going to take to heal. You as a nurse cannot go in and tell somebody, Hey, I know that breakup must be be hard, but you'll feel you'll feel a lot better in seven days, you know. So, and, and here's a band aid for it. In the meantime, it just doesn't work that way. Things of the heart are tough. You don't know how long it's going to affect you. You don't know how it's going to affect you. You don't know um, how in, in the different areas and the different people in your life how it's going to affect them. Right. Um, especially a divorce where you have children and other family members and mutual friends and all that kind of stuff. Uh, And I think what we do, unfortunately, you know, what a lot of, a lot of people do is they hold on to anger. They hold on to resentment. Uh, They just hold on to that pain. And you probably have seen this, you know, and I'm trained in my previous life. I was a psychotherapist. Yeah. And, I could, you know, you, you can see all the problems that holding on to unforgiveness can create in your life. I think some people, you know, first of all, when they hold on to it, it can cause physical problems for them, it can, you know, stress. And of course, when you have stress, it causes all, you know, a whole bunch of other problems for you. 
And I tell people that for me to get to the great heights that I've been able to as a mountain climber, I can't carry a whole bunch of junk on my back. I have to go light. And that's how we have to go in life. We have to go without carrying a bunch of baggage. And I think the lightest load we can carry throughout our life is, is the load of love. I think love is the best. Um, it will get us to the great heights that we want to go, you know, personally and within our relationships. Whereas unforgiveness is really the heaviest load we'll carry in our life. Um, we have to learn to let go of things. We have to learn to forgive. And above all, we have to learn to love. And then we can start on that path and really go to the, the great heights that we were meant to achieve. Yeah, because, I mean, the only thing that's really holding us down is not all this stuff out here that we get hit with that other people may do to us or, or accidents and injuries and all the things that could happen to us out here. It's how we react to it, the choices we make on how we're going to deal with it and go through it. And that doesn't mean we're on our own. You know, there could be other people that come around us and support us and help us in the different stages as we move forward. Like when somebody's, you know, not feeling well, they need a nurse. You're there to help them get through that little phase. And then they go to the next phase, the next phase. But, you know, some people just kind of get stuck in a phase. They just get stuck. They, they lose hope and they lose, um, they lose confidence in themselves. They, they really lose the sight of who they really are and what they're really capable of accomplishing. Now that you've mapped out some of these ups and downs early in life, the, your accident, the things that have come of it, what made you decide you're going to go climb 50 mountains? <laughs> well, you know, how I mentioned I was a psychotherapist, right? So there was a, uh, a documentary filmmaker that was interested in taking five disabled people to go climb the highest mountains of all 50 states, you know, go to their highest elevation. And since I worked with a lot of disabled people, he thought I might know some names that I could recommend to him. So he was looking for like a blind person, somebody with muscular dystrophy, a leg amputee. Well, I just gone through you know, all this split up with my wife and, and all of this. And I just thought, well, I kind of look like a leg amputee. <laughs> He's looking for one. So I, um, I put my name in and I was accepted. So I started training immediately. I was really looking forward to it because I was going to go to this place called Philmont, which is a big scout ranch. And then two weeks before I was supposed to leave, I got hit by the boat. So I never, ever got that opportunity to go climb and camp in the big mountains. So this was what I saw as my opportunity to do this. But you can't just say, I'm going to go climb mountains and then grab a sleeping bag and go. Right. You have to train for this. And I had a year to train for this. I couldn't run 20 feet. I couldn't run 10 feet 
I don't even think I could run five feet because my legs had forgotten how to run. It had been so many years. They were like noodles. They were just like, ah, you know, like that. And not only that, but the last time I ran, I was playing football. I had two legs. And, you know, now I had one. Uh, but I, I knew, you know what the Chinese proverb says. The journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. One step, right? Yeah. So I knew to do that. So I kept taking those steps. And within three months, I was up to running 12 miles without having to stop. Wow. After not running for almost 20 years. I always tell people that's when I learned something really important about running. Are you a runner? A little bit, yeah. Okay, okay. Well, this is what I learned about running. I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do not like running. <laughs> but a lot of times when we have a goal in front of us, there's going to be obstacles. There's going to be things that are going to jump in our way. And those obstacles are not there to make our life miserable, to keep us from being able to achieve our goals, you know, to make us failures in life. It's nothing like that. They're there to help develop us and grow us to where we can actually get to that goal we're wanting to get to. They're there to help us become smarter and stronger and wiser. And we'll get through them soon enough. But we need to look at them for what they are. And then they'll not only help us get to the goal we're going after, but they also lay the foundation for even higher goals that we want to go, you know, and achieve later on. So, um, so I kept running as much as I didn't like it for an entire year. Then they called and it was time to leave and they canceled the expedition. Oh man. Yeah. They didn't get any sponsorship. So, so when I'm hanging up the phone, a little voice of intuition, you know, that voice of intuition that I'm talking yeah. about. I mean, we all have it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just kind of like, Ooh, I feel like I should do this or do that. And sometimes you feel like you, you get this voice of intuition that says you need to do this. You think there is no way I could possibly do that. Those are the times I think it's probably more like God saying, okay, I want you to go do this, but it's so big <laughs> that you know that you didn't really do it. You know, it's, it's some it's, you know, it's coming from something else, something bigger than yourself. And, uh, and I think it's important for us to, to know that there's something much bigger than ourselves out there that we're a part of. Well, I, um, I hung up the phone. I knew I had to do it, but I was, and I had my full-time job back. So I was still working full-time. I was having to continued training for this expedition. I was going to have to organize an expedition. Never had done that before. And I was going to have to raise $50,000 in 30 days. Why the timeline? Why 30 days? Well, because you're going to go climb mountains. There's only a window of so many months that you can go climb mountains. Otherwise you're going to be, you're going to be in sub-zero temperatures in a blizzard. Right. Especially you know, you know that in Utah. Denali. I mean, hey, you want you want to go climb the Wasatch Mountains in August or you want to go climb them in January? You tell me. It. Yeah, I got it. Got it. Right, right. So uh so anyway, in some of these mountains, the windows only so you know open, you know, for a short period, like Denali, the highest one in America. Right. Uh in North America. 
And so, so I, uh, I lived on this island in Southern California because if you're going to be a, uh, a psychotherapist, Southern California is where you're going to find plenty of work, right? So, so I'm down there. I live on this island where a lot of people jog. And we put this sign up and it said, Todd Houston, like amputee, trying to climb the highest elevations of all 50 states to inspire people they could overcome their challenges. T-shirts, $12. Now, do you know how many, because I probably should have done the math on this one first, but you know how many $12 T-shirts it takes to raise $50,000? It's going to take a few. It's going to take one. It's going to take one. Okay. And that's because this guy came jogging by. He liked the idea. And he said, why don't you give me a call at my office tomorrow? 1-800-ABCDEFG. What happened to be a guy that owned a company called Hooked on Phonics. So he ended up giving us our sponsorship. And then I took off on what was known as the Summit America Expedition. And, you know, there's another challenge that I wanted to say that I had to go through, which you know, we talked about how people can do things to you, right? And, you know, it, it can, you have to learn forgiveness and all that. And, and we also talked about the challenge of when an accident occurs, you know, it's just something you had no control of. It just happens. Uh, but then there are other times that we do things, I think, that are self-destructive, uh, where we hurt ourselves. And when I went through the leg amputation, I did become addicted to the painkillers. And I I know it happens to a lot of people. I'm sure you've seen it in your career. Absolutely. Um, The the problem being you get hooked on that stuff. And I think even though you don't think it's affecting you or the people around you, it is. It is changing you. It makes you a different person. Um, right. And and I did this for probably a couple of years would be my guess. Um, now, I know when I talk to pharmacists now, they always tell me if they have to take a pain pill for themselves, the first one they take is the first one toward their getting off of them. You know, that's kind of like the first one toward getting to the last one, right? Uh, so I took, you know, I, I took him and I thought I overdosed one day and I told somebody, I thought they might have to call an ambulance. And I told myself, if I, if I get out of this, I will never take another pain pill. Um, and, and I can't explain how it happened, but my head just cleared right up. Like I hadn't taken anything. Now, since that time I did take another pain pill, I took one back when, um, I had a wisdom tooth pulled, but that was a long time ago. I haven't had a sip of alcohol or even a sip of Coca-Cola since then. And that's been over 39 years. Wow. No desire for it. Wouldn't want it. Don't want it. I know some people have to go through different various programs to be able to get to that, that point. But I also know that it can be done. And, and to change your life, if you really want to change your life, all it takes is one moment to change it. All you do is you, you just make a different choice and you live that choice moment by moment by moment. And you can live any, you you can do anything for one moment, 
Right. And those moments will turn into to months and years. You know, and, and I'm not saying it's easy. You know, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I don't want to put that out there. But I, I know that whatever those negative things are that you want to get rid of, you're never going to miss them. And if you start making positive choices for yourself, I always tell people, you think it'll get you up to here? It's probably not true. It might get you to here, here. Who knows how high it's going to get you? Because there's no neuroscientist out there. There's no psychologist. There's no researcher out there that can tell you the true height of human potential. I mean, in all the medical stuff that you, you went through, did you ever learn what the true height of human potential was? <laughs> no, sir. So yeah. you, you, accumulate, you accumulate success, right, through these moments. Like each moment that you make the right decision, a positive choice, that's another another one in your bag. And, and as you accumulate these moments of strength and, and power and knowledge and wisdom, the next thing might be easier or you're, you're more, you're better equipped to make another good decision. And, and the potential is limitless. There is something, you know, and, and this, and this is where a lot of people I think get confused is that they, they don't know how to make the best decision for themselves. They know they might know what they want, but the question is, is it something they really need? Is it something that they really want? Or is it just something they think they want? And then they spend all that time and energy getting this thing they want. And then it doesn't really work very well for keeping them happy and satisfied in the long term. Because if something is truly valuable, it will keep you happy today. It will keep you happy five years from now. It will keep you happy for the rest of your life. If not, then it's probably not something that's, it's a very temporary thing. And it's not a real true happiness. The car that you bought eight years ago and was thrilled to get, and now you're taking it to the shop every several months and it's guzzling all your gas at four or five bucks a gallon, it's probably not the, uh, it's probably not, you know, the, the thing that tr is true happiness. Right. So, so I look at things and, and, and I say, what we really need to learn is what love is and to understand love. So, yeah, so we'll talk about love here a little bit later. But I know you want to talk about the mountain climbing thing. I do, yeah. So I, I'm actually thumbing through through the, some of the pictures in here of you climbing these different mountains. I'm surprised you were able to make it to the top of, of the one in Florida. Florida? Yeah, kidding. right. <laughs> yeah, Florida's the oxymoron. That's the uh, the highest low point or lowest high point, sorry. <laughs> the yeah. lowest high point. But these mountains get big pretty quick. And uh, here you are on a, a artificial leg trying to summit mountains in the snow and climbing cliffs and kind of crazy stuff. <laughs> well, yeah. So, yeah. So what happened was, you know, I, I decided to go ahead and do that climb on my own. I raised the money for it. Right. And the, um, the idea behind the climb, and I called it Summit America. The idea was to go to the highest point of each state, highest elevation of each state. So 
no big deal, like you say, in Florida. Some of the eastern states are a little easier. Obviously, the Great Plains are pretty easy. Um, and then you have the western states. So I had to go to all of them. I could only fly to two of them, Alaska and Hawaii. Only 32 people had ever done this before. They all had two legs. So I was attempting to be the first leg amputee to climb the highest mountains of all 50 states. Also, the world record for doing it was 101 days, and that was set by a British mountain climber. So, uh, yeah, so so my work was definitely cut out for me as a, as a one-legged mountain climber. So I, I took off on this thing, and, and uh, some of the states, like I said, were very easy. Uh, the Eastern states, you have the Appalachian trail. You had a lot of, uh, mountains along that, that we had to do. Uh, then when you get to the Midwest and, and the plain states, you know, Mount Sunflower in Kansas, you know, as you can see, it's very flat. <laughs> uh, the, uh, Guadalupe peak, uh, is a okay climb in Texas but it was also 118 degrees when we were there. Ooh. So that was extremely hot. Uh, the Western States, uh, they can actually be a lot more dangerous. Uh, you have rock and snow avalanches. You have the, um, you know, the higher up you go, the less oxygen. Uh, so you can get pulmonary or cerebral edema or acute mountain sickness. And the thunderstorms can come in in the afternoon. So you have to really be careful for lightning. Uh, there's a, you know, a lot of things that can go wrong in the mountains. And when people say, well, was it a hard mountain? I'm like, every mountain's a hard mountain. It's just, which one's harder? Yeah. You know, all the, <laughs> all the uncontrolled down to. Yeah. And then the, 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 of course, the highest one was uh, Denali up in Alaska. Not only the highest mountain in Alaska and the United States, but the entire North American continent at 20,310 feet. It's also considered one of the seven summits, which is, you know, the highest mountain of each uh, continent. Isn't it also a very dangerous mountain to climb? Oh, extremely dangerous. Yeah, a lot of people who climb Everest go, well, you know, Everest is 29,000 and Denali is only 20,000. Well, the truth is, is that one, Denali is closer to the poles. So the oxygen is actually more like a 23, 24,000 foot mountain, but the weather is what is brutal up there. And you have crevasses too. So there are people that go climb Everest and they don't make it on Denali. Wow. Um, Sometimes, you know, they never get to climb another mountain after doing Denali. Yeah. So, so it can be extremely treacherous. I mean, sub-zero temperatures. It, it, well, there's a book. There's a book written about this one team that w- did the uh, first solo uh, climb of Denali. And they named the book after the uh, the temperature. And I think it was like minus 188 or minus 181. <laughs> it's like crazy. Gosh. I forget what that temperature was. No. My. Gosh. So, yeah. And, of course, a good friend of mine is the first one that climbed it solo, a guy named Vern Tejas, uh, in the wintertime. And he also holds the record for climbing it the most number of times, 62 times. Wow. Yeah. 
Yeah, but he's been on Everest fourteen times too. He's he's a he's a great mountaineer. Yeah, but you know, I was just a one-legged guy trying to climb up Denali, and I did. Uh, you know, we had body bags dragging in front of us. We had you know amazing, beautiful scenery. Uh, we had extremely cold weather. We got caught in blizzards. We were so hot, you know, some days when the sun was out, even though you're on a glacier, uh, getting, you know, sunburned. Uh, it's extremely hard going up some of the, some of the uh, steeper, you know, parts of it. Uh, I got altitude sickness while I was up there. Uh, had to take some medicine for that and and just relax for a few days. But I ended up, you know, making it. I was doing that one step at a time thing again. And uh, except this time, it, my climbing axe, instead of going in the snow, it felt like it was going in my legs. So incredibly painful. I mean, my legs were, they were hurting so bad. I mean, they're just burning. But, you know, take one step at a time and, a lot of times when we, you know, we're so close to the end of accomplishing something, but yet we, we give up right before we get there because it just seems like the pain is excruciating, but, you know, pain will leave your body. You know, it, you, you will get through the inconvenience of it. And once you do, even though it seems like you're going through it forever, when you look at it the other direction, it looks like a blink of an eye. Like, you know, it was, it was nothing. It was, yeah. So, and there was actually a time when I was climbing Granite Peak, the highest mountain in Montana, where I literally stepped off the trail. And I, and I was like, why am I doing this? Nobody's ever going to care. Nobody's ever going to hear about it. 101 ways I could die up here. I mean, seriously, you know, what is the point of doing this? And I thought about it and I thought, well, you know, I had a passion for wanting to accomplish this. I, you know, I, I, I had this vision, this goal that I had for myself. And I felt like it was something um, I needed to do. Hmm. Just like, you know, we all have this thing in our life where I think we, we feel like there's something special that, that we need to do in this life. Um something we'd really like to accomplish, something that, that um, is, is our purpose in life. And, and we, can, we can think, well, other people can do this. But the truth is, is that nobody can do it quite like you because we're all unique. And whatever it is we're going to go out there and do, I mean, yeah, another leg amputee could go climb, you know, the 50 high points, but not quite like I could. So we sometimes forget what we bring to it. And we need to realize that if we don't do what we feel our passion is and what we feel like our purpose is in life, well, this world will forever miss out on the gift and the blessing that we could have brought to it. Because nobody, nobody anywhere throughout the universe could ever do it the way you do it. And that's why we need to we really need to figure out what our purpose is. And we need to figure out, you know, and, and we'll recognize it because we'll feel the passion in our heart. Um, but, you know, so I went ahead and put my backpack on 
went on up to a place called Froze to Death Plateau. That doesn't sound like a lovely place to hang out. <laughs> Can't wait to get there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's great. And uh, so I get up there, and, and some guy starts yelling, Hey, Todd, or, or you know, he said, Are you the one-legged guy climbing all those mountains? And, of course, I'm thinking, well, how many one-legged guys are climbing mountains <laughs> to begin with, right? And he comes over to me and he says, look, if you're successful, here's my business card. Give me a call. Well, long story short, I end up calling him. And because I did, he knew a publisher and they ended up publishing that book that you, you held up earlier, right? Yeah. And because of that, I ended up being in Sports Illustrated. I ended up being in you know, Forbes. I was mentioned in uh, Wall Street Journal. Uh, CBS did a story on me 10 minutes before they aired the Super Bowl. Uh, I was picked as a, a 10 outstanding American along with Peyton Manning and Miss America. And, you know, so many others, you know, uh, have gotten that over the years, uh, like Elvis and people like that. And then I, I've spoken everywhere from the Sydney Opera House, meeting with the prime minister over there to just right before COVID, the king of Bahrain had me at his palace. And I spoke for a deal over there to 63 different nations about leadership and success and stuff like that. And uh, and they've written the screenplay on this. So hopefully someday it'll turn into a movie. But an hour and a half or two before I met that guy. I was ready to give up. I was wow. ready to quit, go home, forget it, don't need this. And yet, amazing. What if I would have? Yeah. Because, see, we have to keep moving forward because we never know when or where opportunity is going to present itself. Yeah. Because it's easy sitting here talking to you, listening to your story, reading your book, going, Oh, what is this for? Well, I already know the ending. You you spoke to the world, you inspired the world, right? Well, I, I haven't even told you I, I haven't even told you what happened at the end of the climb yet. What happened? You know, because well, I mean, I climbed all fifty high points and became the first disabled person to climb the highest elevations of all fifty states. Right. But not only that, but the two legged world record was hundred and one days. And I ended up doing it in 66 days, 22 hours, 47 minutes. So I shattered the two-legged world record with only one leg by over 35 days, became the first disabled person to ever break an able-bodied world record. Oh, my goodness. Okay. And the whole idea behind the climb was to inspire people. Yeah, you can overcome your challenges. You can reach your goals in life. And we hear a lot of that from motivational people. Rah, rah, you can do it. You can, you, you can have it. Look what I did. You know, you can do it too. And mm -hmm. I had a lot more challenges than you did. I mean, we hear that. <laughs> we hear those stories all the time and, and we should hear them. It's like Zig Ziglar once said, you know, motivation, you know, inspiration uh, is kind of like taking a shower. You don't just take one. Right. Right. It doesn't you gotta, you know, keep taking them. Right. And keep being inspired, keep being motivated. But the one thing that, that I feel after speaking and doing the motivational deal for decades is that the most important thing that we can learn, the most important thing that we can do to be able to really get to that place that we're looking to get in life 
is we need to learn love. And I'm not talking about romantic love and how to, you know, how to hit on chicks and stuff like that, or, you know, or have women, you know, be able to, you know, uh, get their man. I'm not talking about that kind of love. I'm talking about the pure and the unlimited, the unconditional type of love um, that, that exists in each and every one of us. Uh, because I, I truly think that when we love, that is when we are at our best. That is when we are, we are truly who we, who we are created to be. Uh, we are, uh, I think, beings of love. Mm-hmm. And I think life, life is a lesson of love. I mean, every person you meet, every situation you go through, if you were to go through your day and say, what is the lesson in love that I can learn in this moment? I think you'd be amazed at how amazing life can really be for you. And now you not only have that, but, but you know, you, you learn to share love and I'm not talking about you just go, how can I just give love away? It's also about receiving love. And so one thing beautiful about love is it's not like money. If I have a hundred dollars and I give you a hundred dollars, I'm at a hundred and you got a hundred bucks. Okay, great. That's how the world basically works. But with love, the way it works is that I share it with somebody else. They have more. And because I gave it away, I now have more. It just increases just by giving it. And that is a great system. That's an excellent Because once you learn that, then you start sharing and giving as much love as you can because it just gives you more. And because you have more love, you have more happiness. And believe it or not, the science shows you have more health. Right. You know, there's a mental health, physical health, all of that. So, so I always say, you know, we have to practice love. And we do that by trying to have every thought we have. Let it be our most loving thought. Every word we say, let it be our most loving word. And every action, let them be our most loving actions. And practice that moment by moment by moment. Just like I said earlier, we can do anything for one moment. And when those moments add up to a lifetime, then we will be able to not only help others to be able to go to the great heights, you know, they were meant to go, but we also achieve the great heights that we were always meant to achieve. Right. Because the greatness that we're always looking for has already, it's always has been, and it's already within us. That's where it is. And the greatest you know, power, the greatest strength, the greatest good that we have is that power of love that we have within us. And uh, unfortunately, you know, we're told, we're told by our parents. I mean, how many times did your parents say, you need to love people, you know, um, your your religious text and, and all your religious leaders, love people, love your neighbor, you know, right? Love yourself, all that. And even the Beatles say, love, love, love. The issue is this. Nobody tells you what love is, and they don't tell you how to do it. They don't tell you how to apply it in all the different areas of your life. They don't tell you how to use it in your business. They don't tell you how to really use it. I mean, relationships, they call these things love, but no, they're really not. A lot of times it's just two people getting together because they have a 
mutual attraction toward one another and they have hormones and and needs and fears and wants and all that kind of stuff that they're trying to fulfill within their life. It has nothing to do really with love. They call it love, but that doesn't make it love um, any more than I call a rabbit, you know, uh, a house and say, well, it's a rabbit. No, it isn't it's something else. Uh, so, so yeah, so I think love is really where, and that, and that is my big goal. Now it's a much bigger goal than it was ever, you know, doing the mountain climbing. It's about trying to get the love out there and have people understand it. So I'm doing a documentary and I interviewed all the top love experts in the world from Harvard brain surgeons that talk about how love works in the brain to um, the head of the American Psychological Association. Uh, He was president of that. He also wrote the theories on love, wrote the psychology of love textbook uh, to Bishop Curry who's the one that did the royal wedding between Meghan Markle and Prince Harry, um, you know, and does the, the love sermons and all that. And, and business people that were on, you know, like CBS's undercover boss and talk about love and, and how to, how to run huge corporations. And we all know the names of, uh, but we need to learn love. And, and I take it not only from the evolutionary side of how love developed, to even after death, because what does love look like when somebody flatlines like I did? Well, we know that I have a medical doctor that's also in charge of the near death experience research foundation that had over 500 cases of people who had died and experienced love on the other side. Wow. And how their definition and understanding of love over there was very different than how they were taught over here on this side. And then when they were resuscitated, how it changed their life and changed their relationships uh, and their their views and thoughts on love. So, you know, love is the one thing that's going to be eternal and it's going to stick with us. And it's with, you know, we see it in our pets. By the way, you might see your pet over there on the other side. And uh, we see it within nature. We see it. We see it everywhere. That is fascinating. This planet needs to learn love. So that's my. That's that's my summit right now. That's my mountain I'm going after is to try and and do everything I can in this world to help people understand what I think is the very the the greatest strength they have and will do them the absolute most good for their individual life. Truly amazing, man. That <clears throat> very inspiring. I'm I'm curious to to see that when it, when it comes out. Do you have a release date or anything of the sort yeah well hopefully you know i'm hoping it's going to be valentine's 2023 but we'll see gotcha you know it's more important that i get it out right than i just you know put it out there so but we've shot most of the videos awesome so anything else that you want to promote or let the audience know how they can get in touch with you follow you promote promote your books your love all the the very just go, you know, you just go to my website, and I'm assuming you'll you'll put it on the screen or something. It's just Todd Houston. It looks like Todd Huston, H-U-S-T-O-N dot com. You know, it has my cell number on there, all that stuff. I mean, you just call me. I'm around. You're around. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're up. Yeah, I don't. Uh, you're up. You're down. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't hide. I go up to Alaska every year, usually to speak for you know several weeks to you know an entire summer. Uh, get out of the heat, 
you know, in Oklahoma, but I meet some amazing people like your parents. Like my mom. So <laughs> and, uh, she's the one. Yeah. That so, us. Uh, but I'm, I'm pretty easy to get hold of. Great. Cool, man. Well, I appreciate you joining me for everyone listening. Todd's book is called more than mountains, one leg, 50 mountains, an unconquerable faith. Uh, this is his story of, of climbing these mountains as an amputee, smashing the world record. Um, shout out to my mom for connecting us. She got me a signed copy of your book. So, uh, oh, cool. very appreciative there. And, uh, uh, thank you all for listening and Todd, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, bro. Appreciate it, man. All right. Have a good one. Hey, thanks for listening to the entire episode. As a token of gratitude, I want to give you a discount on my book, Ingrained. Head over to bronsonwilkes.com slash store and download Ingrained for less than a dollar with the coupon code GOALS, G-O-A-L-S.